Cold Stove Podcast, December 14th, 2021. NRD in the building with myself, Brett Merriman. A uh, a foggy one in Austin, Texas today. NRD, what's going on with you? There's no sunlight in parts unknown, Brett, so I couldn't tell you what the weather is, even if I tried. It's always, but, uh, it's always the same in the rumor cave. That's right. It's always the same in the rumor cave. No. Good Tuesday. Happy to be doing this back on a Tuesday. Last week we went to Wednesday because we thought some news was going down. Didn't happen. We're back on our normal scheduled day, Tuesday, coming at you, coming at your ears with the uh, with the cold stove pod. Tuesday, why is Tuesday like the day where all the hockey things happen? It's 32 thoughts, shouts to the boys, it's it's after the whistle with Petey and Rivs, it's it's us. Maybe maybe Wednesday should be our day, but I kind of like the Tuesday, we're just competing with the, the big boys. You have to beat the best to be the best, um, besides the fact that I already think we're the best. But yeah, if we stick to Tuesday, it doesn't bother me. Wednesday, it doesn't bother me. Listen, we'll run uh, Cold Stove Pod or run any uh, podcast any day of the week. So keep an eye out never for put the, too uh, much stock into that. For the two episodes a week shows. Coming, coming. Coming, uh, coming when stuff starts heating up. Ain't that right, NRD? That is happening two a week. Actually, scrolling through my feed really quick, right before we went on air, I saw a bunch of people tweeting, uh, tweeting at me saying that, love the podcast. Maybe, maybe longer, maybe more episodes. So... Yes, to whoever tweeted me that, you're getting your answer. There will be more episodes of Cold Stove Pod per week coming up soon. And you can tweet us and yell at us at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter and at Cold Stove Pod on Instagram. Hit us with a uh, a subscribe on Apple, a follow on Spotify, and big big importance this week because next week I'm going to go. We're going reviews. It's going to be a Christmas thank you session to the uh, to the fans out there. This week we need ratings and reviews. I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear. That you hate on RD saying, uh, what do you say? Um, I will say at the end of the yeah, day. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. When, anything. When, Listen, when I say it makes sense, give us some feedback. Give us some reviews. Anything. It's that's our Christmas gift. We want uh, we want to hear what you guys think. Since you can't send us money yet, um, <laughs> we'll take we'll take podcast feedback uh, in lieu of that. So uh, keep it coming. We appreciate it. Keep it coming, NRD. Let's get right into some hockey. The stars. Went from four goaltenders, I don't know, two weeks ago, to now having two. And all of a sudden, the goalie situation in Dallas is much different than anticipated. Ben Bishop retired. Shouts to him for an unbelievable career. A degenerative knee issue holding him back. He gave up eight goals in his one AHL conditioning stint in, uh, in Cedar Park. Shouts to the Texas Stars. Anton Anton Kudobin has been waived for the purpose of sending him to Cedar Park. NRD, what are your thoughts on what happened with Dallas? It, in a weird way, shook up exactly how we said it was going to shake up back on the November 16th Cold Stove Pod. We talked about Holtby and Ottinger being the two that Dallas is going to go forward with in net. Um, didn't predict the the fates of both Bishop and Kudobin because that kind of came as a shock to see that Ben Bishop is done with with his National Hockey League career. That degenerative knee condition that you mentioned, he gave it a good go um, in his rehab stint in the AHL, and good go meaning only only a day or two. But you know that guy has been wanting to get back to the league, wanting to play again, and you know it's never easy when a guy has to 
give it up for an injury, especially a guy like Ben Bishop, who's been really good over the course of his career. And I think that's gotten lost in translation a ton over the past couple of days when I see all these posts about Ben Bishop kind of retiring, is that he was really good. And I think injuries held him back a ton. I mean, he played, he went into the playoffs deep with Tampa a bunch of times. He played really well in Dallas when he was healthy. He was in Ottawa for a little while, I believe, too. Start off his career, or towards the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Ben Bishop was a great goaltender, so it sucks to see him leave the league. And then Anton Kudobin, who, who was a guy that we know was on the trade block for a while. Dallas was fielding a ton of phone calls. Obviously, those phone calls didn't amount to much, if anything, at all, because now Kudobin finds himself on waivers. I don't know if he's going to get claimed. Waivers come out at 2 p.m. today. 2 p.m. Eastern, I should say. We're recording this at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Central. Uh, 11 a.m. Central, I should say. So we don't know if Kudobin's going to get claimed. I could see teams putting in a claim on him. But then again, the way I look at it is GMs are shrewd. And the cap situation not making sense. I wonder if now Kudobin goes down to the minor leagues and then a team tries to even further lowball Dallas into retaining maybe 25% or so on that contract right, that, getting him at like a million and a half. That would, that would be the situation. So they don't want him. Because if I think this is a different story if it's just this year. The key is that contract next year. I think it's what's three point three. It's yeah, it's three point three or three point five. So like that. if he goes down to Cedar Park, he does does not get claimed. Dallas is still on the hook for two and a half. So Dallas, by all accounts, would like to move on from him. That's an expensive player to have in the minor leagues. Hopefully, he can go down. He's not playing extremely well this year, which is another problem for Dallas. Hopefully, he goes down and and lights up the AHL for a little bit, <clears throat> which. We've seen happen with goalies, and that all of a sudden can give them a little bit of value. But you're absolutely right. This this screams to me that we like him as a goalie. Playoff run, you know, playoff Kadobin, you can get a 950 out of him for 20 games. All of a sudden, it's like holy shit. But uh, but this this is going to be a salary retention situation because he's 35. Keep a million bucks or a million and a half bucks, uh, you know, from Dallas. And get a pick back. You know, it's not going to be a high pick, but get something back for him. I think this is kind of the move that makes sense for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. And what's what's interesting is that many teams were um, initiating the calls on Kudobin. So I wonder if there's more so that Dallas was asking for what they know Kudobin is capable of providing to a lineup when he's on. Because we saw it in the bubble. Like you said, he's a, he's a 950 in the playoffs when he could play. So that seems more likely than anything. I mean, Jim Nill, knowing probably, because listen, they had a jump on the Ben Bishop story from when we did. They knew, obviously, Ben Bishop wasn't continuing his playing career. So now that could open price in Jim's uh, Jim Nill's mind shoots up a little bit because now you only have three goalies to deal well, from. Uh, and, maybe, and maybe has always been up because... And always been up for that matter because Bishop's been a wild card and we've said that since the beginning. We really didn't know what, was gonna, what Dallas was going to have with Ben Bishop. So I think it's more so of that combination with the salary, combination with everything that, like you said, it, it does allude to a salary, salary retention situation. If he does get claimed, I'm looking at teams that can just use the depth of goaltending and because many teams already have their two guys right now and that cap situation looms large for, for a lot of organizations. So you're looking at like a New Jersey because Bernier's career might be over with his hip injury. You're looking at a, I don't think Edmonton's ready to make that move yet for Kudobin. If they went for a goaltender, I think they'd go a little bit bigger in net, bigger in stature, bigger in name. 
Um, especially because of the guys they have there, Stuart Skinner, Nico Koskinen, and, and Mike Smith, who should be back at some point. Um, but yeah, looking at a team like a New Jersey, if, if Kudobin goes claimed in the next couple hours, if not, then the suitors pool opens up a little bit more into that salary retention trade. Yeah. And I think I, so if I'm going to put a confidence interval on that, I, I would guess that that's the scenario and it might not even happen for a while, right? That, that could, that could be a, a goalie goes down. Then Dallas has some leverage to make it a pick, you know, instead of a sixth rounder, it becomes a fourth rounder with a million bucks or something, you know, something like that for a playoff team. But I would expect that he's on the move by the trade deadline, along with some other goalies around the league. Yeah, we're not disagree with that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll say Edmonton, you know, pending their, their slump they've been in. I'll disagree and say, I think Edmonton would be more of a suitor than, than, just brushing it off, but it would be strictly for a playoff rental push situation. It wouldn't be, hey, this is the goalie of the future, obviously. No, it's just it's just the guy that gets him through to the playoff run because we know what Kudobin's capable of that time of year if he's on. A guy that I don't think he's going to call on Kudobin because he has a couple of good goaltenders, but he now has more responsibility in RD, and that's Billy Guerin of the Minnesota Wild who was named the GM of the United States hockey team for the upcoming Olympics. His buddy, Chris Drury, is now assistant GM. I think we probably, not only us, that that's, was pretty much a given when Stan Bowman uh, was out. Will we get into the, are the will they, won't they of the Olympics, your thoughts on the front office that they've built? I mean, they picked the two best American-born general managers in the National Hockey League, combined with Mike Sullivan, who I think is a hell of a hockey coach. If we, you know, when we talk about that will-they-won't-they discussion, if the NHLers decide not to go, you have a natural fit in David Quinn to be the head coach of Team USA. Um, I don't think that would come as a shock to many people. He's probably the best American-born talent that isn't associated with an NHL team right now. Um, but I like the I like the front office that USA built. It's about picking the right players. I think Garen said today they have 55 on the short list, and they're gonna have to whittle it down from there. I'd be I'd be pretty unhappy if Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry weren't on that short list. I mean, Troy Terry is certainly playing himself into that that role this year. And Trevor Zegers, how do you keep him out? If you want something marketable, how do you keep him out? I did hear that you see that. Uh, they or Bill Guerin made a call to Jack Eichel's agent and said, "How's he doing, Mister Brisson?" Remember, remember the fourth of November, Brett. It it would have been so good if it was on the fifth, but I like it because then you actually have the movie quote. But I do like it was on the fourth because verbatim, that's what we said. That is exactly what we said. Um, okay, now let's get into it. Let's have the conversation. COVID. Let's do it. COVID. COVID, COVID, COVID. That's all you're going to hear on these stupid shows for the next three months. And you know what? Probably for good reason. Because every day it seems to be entering protocol, entering protocol, entering protocol. And that could mean, one, that you've tested positive. Two, you've had a close contact. So it's not necessarily everybody's getting sick, but everybody is in positions where they have been exposed Let's let's do let's do this first. Let's talk about the league impact, and then we can talk Olympics. So, 
as far as the lead goes, I think it's eight games have been postponed overall. Eight games over the course of three teams, I want to say. Yeah. And now between the Islanders, uh, Sens, and Calgary. Yes. Calgary is postponed through at least the 16th of December. At least their next, their next three games, whenever that was announced, are postponed. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds on what, like, why are these people testing positive? But I do want to ask the question, are protocols in need of an update? Because... By and large, the NHL is is sort of primed to be the worst affected sport, right? So you t- you look at basketball, same arena, same inside, right? But more warm weather cities with go, less team, less players on a team, less people in the room, right? I'd go even further than that. I'd say the NHL is more susceptible than the NBA solely because they got to travel to Canada more than just for you know the Toronto Raptors of the NBA, right? So because of that border crossing and bringing that up, I mean, we know that after uh, Carolina played against Vancouver the other night, Seth Jarvis and one other Canes player and a coach was left behind in Canada, wasn't allowed to travel back home to Carolina because of the not being able to travel into the United States as a positive COVID carrier. So those are things that are going to screw the NHL over. The problem is, is that their protocol, I don't know how much could change by way of the NHL protocol if they're finding that, and Bill Daly mentioned this the other day at the at the Board of Governors meeting down in Florida in Boca Raton, that the a lot of the spread that they're finding amongst the NHLs and community spread and not actually at the rink and in locker rooms. And I'm a big proponent of buckling down the protocols once those players enter the rink, but not trying to, you know, these guys already make gigantic sacrifices for their families enough as it is. So I'm not a big fan of, you know, strangle holding what no, they're able to do. I don't, I don't think so. Time. Right. And then that goes in large in part to like back in the bubble a year or two ago when Robin Leonard was big vocal about the fact that families were promised to enter after the conference final stage and then they weren't. Mm-hmm. And then that was delayed to the Stanley Cup finals. I'm a big, you know, big believer in letting the families be around these players as much as they can. So I don't know how much could change on the protocol side of things for the league if the spread is truly community spread and not via, you know, players and coaches on the team. But, and also because a lot of the issues that the NHL are dealing with, like we said, is is the border and stuff like that. Things that are political and pu- in public health's best interest that will not change just for the National Hockey League. Yeah, and I think the the... I mean, the the ideal scenario is everybody gets boosted. And I think the guys at this point are are weary of putting more things into their body. At this, you know, they've they've gotten both shots, ninety nine point nine percent of them, and we've seen that boosters are next up. And it's and not only for the NHL, for the for the planet, really. Something's going to have to be explained to them there that these are safe. These work is, you know, yada, yada. But then again, like when I got my booster a week and a half ago, I was miserable for a day and I knew that was my body's response for it, which is great. But like, I couldn't have played a hockey game that night and that's going to have to be, uh, you know, that's going to have to be looked at. Like I got mine Friday at two o'clock PM Friday night. I would have been fine. Saturday night. 
I I had the chills. I had the shakes. I had a fever. I had like I I was in a bad spot. I was eight, I couldn't get off my couch. And then Sunday morning, f- Sunday morning, I was a hundred percent, hundred hundred percent. And so so just switch the Brett Merriman Saturday night and Sunday morning. Yeah, the the, uh, <laughs> the little hungover Saturday Sunday morning for Brett Merriman. You know, it's the, you know, the funny the, Saturday night. The first time I did so when I got my my first two shots a couple months ago, um, I went out the night of. Not like not like part like party, but I got pretty littered up at a friend's house, and so the next day I was like, "Am I hungover or am I just feeling the, the vaccine side effects?" And I was like, "You know what? I I might as well just get hungover or get get hammered and get be hungover, so I don't have to think about it twice." Exactly. But uh, but point being that that's the solution for this, and players are weary of that. Now right. on the protocol front. The change that I would like to see is once you're in, get tested like crazy, and then once you produce those two negative tests, which I think is kind of the case, but it's still that 10-day issue. Waiting period, right. yeah. So, okay, that's the NHL side of things. Let's talk Olympics now. I'll ask you this simple question. Are the players going to the Olympics, NRD? Without, and i got to be careful. Because people are going to run with this. Shoutouts to the the hockey hound on Twitter that loves to uh, loves to take what I say and sensationalize it. Just you know, <laughs> just throws that out there in the world. But um, no, we love you. We appreciate all the quotes from the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great work. <laughs> but um, I'm going to say no, not because I know that to be con- concrete right now, not that I know that to to be you know the case in the next couple of weeks. But just based on on what I personally know and by way of what I've reported last week on the podcast about, you know, that, that Eastern Conference player talking to some of the guys on his team and finding out that the organizations are starting to put pressures on the players. And then Emily Kaplan, long-time listener of the show, um, sharing those same sentiments yesterday in a, in a tweet as well. I'm going to say no for those reasons and not because of anything I know that's coming down the pike, but because of... What I've previously heard, combined with the fact that the the protocols in place for the Olympics are not conducive to the National Hockey League, um, combined with many other factors, they will not be in Beijing starting in February, in my opinion, not fact yet. I know that the boys still want to go, right? I don't think that is in dispute. Not a question. The, the main problem... You know, I've I've tried to dig in a lot here because I don't agree with a lot of the pessimism out there because at the end of the day, the boys want to go. So what I've been look, like kind of tuning into is why are people so pessimistic? And I don't think it's because of the virus itself. Okay, let me explain that. I don't think it's because they're scared of health or health is the main priority here because they're just like if the NHL doesn't go we're sending another batch of college kids and European players it's not the health part of this it is becoming increasingly political in a way that the Chinese government has full control over the protocol that the IOC has to follow that means that as NRD said on Twitter if you test positive, it's three weeks minimum. 
before you can even take a back-to-back test, which flies directly in the face of any guidance in the public health sphere across the planet. That needs to be, one, either figured out or just just disobeyed, or else it's not going to happen. And then the other side of the political coin is it's China and they're not, we're we're not exactly on the best of terms uh, being the United States or Canada with our friends over there in China. So long story short, I, I still tend to disagree with the pessimism because I think that things like this get worked out. And if they don't, it's more a Chinese government versus the Western world. Like, you want us to adjust our protocols? No. How about you guys just deal with what we what we put in place? It's obviously disadvantageous. I don't know if that's a word, but that's obviously a little uh, extreme. And we're going to say tough shit. I think if this was in Norway, I think if this was in Paris, France, I think this if this was in Miami, Florida it would be a different, much, much different scenario. Much, much different scenario. And that's that's why, you know, and this is a good discussion, that's why I'm a little bit more on that pessimistic side because of the two combatants in the situation that you mentioned, the Western world and the Chinese government. This is not a political podcast by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, we're talking about a government that allegedly, you know, welded the doors shut in the city where the outbreak first first originated to to control the spread and did not allow people to even leave their rooms allegedly. So that um, I think that looms large in this in this whole you know will they won't they discussion is that China is not going to bend the knee for for professionals, especially knowing that the the rest and this is the other key point here too. The rest of the Winter Olympics is comprised of amateur athletes. The hockey or amateur by way of, you know, there's no professional, major professional league uh, for like snowboarding and skiing. That's more so the X Games role and they, they run in the downhill cup and whatnot. But like they're more so viewed as like amateur or individual athletes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're amateurs that can get a deal from Samsung. They can get like it, that. exactly. Whereas the National Hockey League, they're sending their professional athletes. So the fact that the, that the hockey competition is the only discipline in the Olympics that has professional athletes. I don't think China's going to bend the knee at all for that, especially because the the NHL is not as popular in China as the NBA has been, mm-hmm. right? Like we've seen the NBA be a great partner to to China over the years and the NHL has not been in that conversation for for very long. Originally, and I had previously reported this a year or two or two ago, before the bubble season happened, the uh, or after the bubble season, before last year's shortened season happened with with no fans in the stands, pre-COVID, that was originally supposed to be two preseason games in China for the NHL. The Devils were supposed to go over there and play in a couple preseason games. And that would have been the NHL's first major foray into the Chinese market. That didn't end up happening. So the NHL doesn't really have that connection yet with the country. So I think that also plays a big part, too. In that if this was the NBA or even the NFL to, to some degree, I think you'd see, um, or even the MLB, because, you know, Chinese baseball is very popular. The 
leagues that are in, you know, in that collaboration with China in terms of growing the game and marketing would be going. I think the NHL doesn't have that connection. So I don't think the NHL needs to bend the knee. And I don't think the Chinese government really has to bend the knee for the NHL either by way of protocol for professional athletes. Totally agree. Now, let me paint you the optimistic case. If you will. I'm all ears. No, I want to hear Listen, I want them there. More, more than anything else, I want Jack Eichel there. So oh. we can kind of finish this saga of, of the cold stove, the 4th of November, laying out exactly what was going to happen. So I want Jack Eichel there, if nothing else. But uh, please, give me the po- uh, optimistic take. So the optimistic take is I'm going, I'm going to use the Chinese government uh, to, to our advantage right here. That environment will be as bubbled as anything that the United States has ever put together. That will that will mirror the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto. The, the case for them going is going to be boosters, a very tight two, you know, one to two weeks prior to the Olympics. I think the talk of this Vegas party is like, if anything, that's going to be canceled. If they're going to go... They can't go out in Vegas for a weekend before they go get on a plane and go to China. I think that's clear to everybody. Now that that's sucks. Gotta be out. Yeah, but that's that's the case, right? They're not going to Spearmint Rhino and then hop on a plane to Beijing. <laughs> now, some some media members might be, but they won't be. There's going to be no margaritas. Is a dog. Oh, Let me tell you, Brett. They'll they'll they won't be in contact with with Bobby Margaritas. They won't be in contact with Elliot and Jeff and. Frank and all the boys, it will be as locked up as anything. And if the guys have the opportunity for a week to just test negative, and if you test positive before Beijing, guess who's staying home? Which sucks, but that's the reality. So my point being that I think, I believe in human nature, that if you can really lock, not lock down, but if you can be smart, for a week and a half before Beijing and you're not going out in Vegas and the the extent of that is you know kind of revealing the the team at the All-Star break and it's a big hoo-ha on the on center ice perfect and then you go to Beijing and then you're in a bubble which you kind of are anyway you know it, it, I don't care if it's covid or not you you end up being pretty bubbled and isolated like the U.S. team has their own house. The Canadian team has their own house. That's no different from any other year. Now you just can't go out and enjoy the the city that you're in, which if you want to visit Beijing in a couple of years, great. You can go back. But I just think the environment that they're going to be in, combined with the boosters, combined with you know three more months of public health knowledge on what's happening here, I think that paints a more optimistic picture because of what, we're able to learn, glean from this virus, be boosted, and the environment that they'll be in in a in a very you know locked up Beijing. So that's my optimistic picture. Now, obviously, it does suck if they do test positive in Beijing, and that's going to be a problem. But the Russians are going, no matter what. Correct. The, well, so we assume. I mean, it would have to I, like I don't even think if if the NHLPA says nobody's going, I don't think Hovi's going to care. He's going to, what are you going to do to me? And I don't think the NHL is going to do anything for that matter. Correct. Either, or the NHLPA. You know, I hate to be the bearer of live bad news, but I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know if Cold, Cold Stove Intern has let you know the, the latest rumblings around the National Hockey League over the past five minutes since we started that COVID rant. Um, Brad Marchand to the COVID protocol for the Bruins. Matt Barzell to the COVID protocol for the Islanders. Devon Tays to the COVID protocol of the Colorado Avalanche. And two Vancouver Canucks are on the COVID protocol. Yeah, it, it feels like there's quite the uh, quite the wave happening, huh? It does. Which is just a live reaction for you. You know, it's just such a bummer. It's just such a bummer that we still have to like, like I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I it just and and not it's, it's, all, not all of these are positive tests. They're close contacts, which you, have, you contacts. have to trace. And I get it, but like, man, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here at RD. So I don't know what the answer is. It's a conundrum, here. and you know. This is where I, I play the pessimistic role and, you know, you could insert the little boo track right now. Yeah, I'll take all the boos from everybody that wants to see Olympic hockey. But if you're trying to control something like this, your your job is to eliminate as many variables as possible. And I think that the, uh, the Beijing variable is a large variable that you don't have to add into the fold. And yeah. I think that's going to be the first to fall. What's really interesting, though, is, and shout out to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN who tweeted this out the other day. And this was kind of a question that I had that I didn't really have a concrete answer to over the past couple of days is in these. So the NHL created two drafts of the schedule, one with Beijing cooked in one without Beijing cooked in. And with the, with the schedule that didn't involve the Olympics, the NHL asked these arenas to hold space for, for makeup games. The arenas did not hold space as Greg Wyshynski puts it. You're asking an arena that's been shut down for a year and a half over a pandemic to hold back on, you know, Booking Ariana Grande, dates, yeah, right. yeah, Monster Jam, Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, like you name it, they're going to sell out that building in those weeks, in those dates to make up some revenue. So, if the NHL doesn't go, are we faced with a more or less three week break of no hockey, and you're not making up those games either? That's a question too now. And now you know, I hate, like I said, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but now we're get now that becomes an issue. Like we don't have an issue today, Tuesday, December fourteenth. But we will have an issue going forward if that seems to be the case. If the NHL decides to not go to Beijing, they can't make up the games. More teams continue to be, uh, more teams continue to have their games postponed. Like that's a problem. Now. Yeah, and another thing with that three week break is there was like <clears throat> the the Twitter verse said, well, what if we just do like a, a impromptu World Cup, and that was promptly shut down at the annual owners meeting in Boca Raton. Which, to me, I mean, yeah, I, I get it, obviously. But also, it's just the, the way that people think these things have to be planned for nine years is, is insane. They could, they could put together – it wouldn't be 17 teams, which wouldn't be much of a tournament anyway. It, it, you could play a U.S. versus Canada series, two the, you know, three-game set, or whatever you want to call it. You could even throw Finland and Sweden in there. But uh, you would like – I don't think it's as hard as the NHL is like, oh, we have to build up this big thing. You get a sponsor on it in four minutes. But it's not happening. I just want to put it out there. I have an idea. All right. Hit me. The Let's go back. Let's turn back the clock to the 2000 and 2001 All-Star Games where it was North America versus the rest of the world. Yeah. With, with collar jerseys and all. Remember the jerseys had the collars on them? They were like really futuristic oh, yeah. and weird. Yeah, let's go North America versus rest of world for the All-Star game this year. And Why not? And we'll do a little bit of a uh, – we'll add a little bit of 
international flair into the into the all-star game in vegas because why not if you're not going to beijing that would be a great game the best of canada and the u.s versus the best of sweden finland russia germany that'd be a great game cancel the cancel the skills competition make it a three-day round robin sure North america versus rest of the world not even a round robin just just a three-game series three-game series first rest of the world and they play they play the friday the saturday and the sunday in vegas easy yeah turn the all-star game into that i just bring back those jerseys with the colors on them. i don't know CCM. man you got you got me in like uh like i'm mid pod here and i'm sorry to our listeners i'm like i'm i'm bummed i'm bummed at seeing all these names keep keep coming out and it's just ugh. i've broken brett everybody that's a wrap Let's let's get off this topic. Let's talk let let's talk what we what we're good at. Let's talk some speculation. Let's talk some rumors. Let's talk NRD's corner, shall we? Let's go for it. Can I get you in a bad mood? Let's go. New York Islanders NRD. <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. Shall you uh shall you uh yeah. what's the word? Shall you uh opine on Lou and the Islanders proper? I will opine on Lou Lamorello. And the New York Islanders, and I know Islanders fans don't want to say this, so I am going to carry the tor- torch for you, uh, for you Islanders fans out there that are too afraid to speak out against the godfather that is Lou Lamorello. Because you know what? At the end of the day, there it is. If anybody gets through Lou Lamorello, it's NRD. So, Lou Lamorello, I don't know how you still have a job beyond this season. If the Islanders continued down this path, I would be a major proponent of hiring new blood in that front office and seeing if you can bring in a general manager that can work with Barry Trotz, who is one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. Because unfortunately, as old as Will Amarello might be, his roster is constructed to be even older, something of the Jurassic era, in that you are giving out four- and five-year extensions Albeit at a lower cap hit, to guys like Ross Johnson and Matt Martin, guys who do very well in their roles, but lack the offensive production that the Islanders have been after for so long, while Jordan Eberle walks to Seattle and continues to lead that team in goals, albeit not a great amount of goals because Seattle hasn't been that great, but leading Seattle in goals, you are struggling for offense, they are struggling in the net. I think that is one of the few things that Lou Lamorello has done correctly on the island is build a tandem in a net that you can still feel confident in Islanders fans. I think Sorokin and and Varlamov, as I've said numerous times on this podcast, are dealing with the consequences of being on a very poor defensive team right now. But I don't I don't know how Lou Lamorello has a job after this year. I don't know how you give him the chance to to right the wrongs. Because at the end of the day, personal interest. See, now this is the problem with this rant, Brett. I'm going to say at the end of the day like six or seven times because I'm actually fired up. Keep it it up, NRD. I just want to point out that real quick, 11 of the Islanders players are 30 or older. 11 too many. And two of them, two two additional players are 29. Are we counting the 47-year-old that's on the roster too (laughs) and Zidane Ochara? I mean, really, like... I have a ton of respect for Zdeno Charo, but like the roster is ridiculously old. There is no plan of the future for the New York Islanders. If they don't win it this year or fine, maybe next year, 
you were going back into the dark ages of Wade Dublovitz playing in net for the New York Islanders at the Nassau Coliseum in front of 7,000 people. Because there is nothing on that roster that instills excitement in the future generation. Bodie Wilds in Sweden, because you kicked him out of camp for not being vaccinated, that's fine, that's fair. Not necessarily saying that that's the reason why he was kicked out of camp, but he can't be in, in Bridgeport for that reason. So, Bodie Wilds back in Sweden. Oliver Wallstrom started off hot this year, but doesn't look like he's developing into the young winger that he can be. Anthony Bavillier was a healthy scratch the other night on, yes, a six-game uh, six po- uh, six point drought. But at the same time, he's one of your more offensively talented wingers, and he was a healthy scratch. Now, I realize that falls a little bit more on Barry Trotz and Lula Morello, but, I mean, come on, there's got to be a discussion amongst Lula Morello and Barry Trotz to right this ship, not only for this year, but for future years, because the way it seems to me is that Lula Morello is trying to win a Stanley Cup before he kicks the bucket in the next couple of years. And I hate to say that because I have all the respect in the world for such a great hockey hockey mind and a first ballot you know, whatever first ballot plus Hall of Famer is in the Builders category is Lou Lamorello. But it just seems to me like this is a Lou Lamorello passion project to win a Stanley Cup before he kicks it. And there is no plan of succession in place for the New York Islanders. And I'm sorry, Islanders fans, because I'm pulling for you. I thought the past couple of years of, of the Metropolitan rivalries between the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders have been exciting, especially because the Islanders, usually the team that isn't on the good side of that rivalry has been good while the other two teams are rebuilding and starting to get younger and fresher in the lineups, whether that's Jack Hughes or Nico Hiche in Jersey, Capococco, Alexei Lafreniere, Igor Shesterkin in New York. The Islanders have none of that right now, and they're not winning a Stanley Cup this year. In fact, they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. They won their first game at UBS like 10 months after UBS opened. So I'll, I'll digress. I'm done. I've talked too much, but God damn it, I don't know how this guy has a job next year. I think the the Islanders' last few seasons have been so exciting with the like the collie and and that sort of energy, and it just feels like a, an emotional. Like the last two seasons have been so emotional, and the exits have been so emotional, and the playoffs have been so emotional, and like the outside factors, like the last couple games at the Coliseum, and the fans coming out of. A, a very dark period in Brooklyn to finally coming home. And now there's this brand new rink with this team that's kind of, yeah, they're old, but like, have you seen how we've played the last couple of years? And I, something feels off. And you know what? I, I still think, I said this a couple cold stoves ago, Jordan Eberle was a big part of that team. And he, he didn't necessarily put up the most points, but he seemed to just be not only glue, but he scored when it mattered. And I wonder if like one guy can't necessarily tank a team, but it can screw up a locker room. And when you replace a Jordan Eberle with Zdeno Chara, who is a very regimented, very my way or the highway type of guy, and he's a calming presence because nobody's going to fuck with you with him on the ice. But it's also sort of a regime change from... We're the fun Islanders with old guys who like to, you know, have beers after the game and and look at what we're doing. It's kind of cool. To now, it's sort of this more regimented, less fun style of hockey. That now they're getting old and 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 playing more poorly. I don't know. I just don't know where you go from here. 
I don't know either, but I, I do know this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say it on this fans, I'm sorry. Matt Barzell is not locked up long term. Neither was John Tavares. And you know what happened with JT. And I'm not saying this is gonna happen here with Matthew Barzell. It shouldn't happen with Matthew Barzell. But if you're Matt Barzell and you go through this year of hell, and you're in and out of COVID protocol, and the team isn't performing well, and you see that the average age of the lineup is 76. What instills confidence in you to lock up eight years with the New York Islanders as opposed to looking at the greener pastures of home in Seattle? I hope it doesn't happen. I don't want it to happen. That's not a rumor. That's anything like, not anything like that. But that's more of a call to action to the Islanders front office to buckle the shit up before things get to that point again with your captain, or with not your captain, but your best player, to... You know, two different regimes in a row. Garth Snow with John Tavares as the captain of the team. And then Barzal, not the captain, but being the best player there um, with Lula Amarillo. And not for nothing, we're talking about ridding the league of dinosaurs like Torch, who talks about Zegers not being excited for the game. Oh, but you play on a Lula Amarillo I wasn't even going to mention on that on this podcast. That that might have got me out on Torts forever. Completely. Yeah. And that's the problem. We're, we're, we're so angry about these dinosaurs like John Tortorella, who... By the way, I think is a great hockey coach, and I think that comment was wrong, and I think you should retract it because that's how you grow excitement, and that's how you let younger players be younger players. They be inventive. I said this the other day in a conversation to somebody. What was more exciting about the Zegers assist not was not the skill, but the, the hockey IQ. To say that's a dumb play is completely wrong because it's one thing to have the skill to pull that off, but the hockey IQ to have to know that the situational awareness to be yeah. behind the net and be able to pull that off speaks wonders to how well this kid knows the game and how he processes the game at the highest level. But that's aside. But we're talking about getting rid of dinosaurs like torts out of the game for comments like that. And then you got Lula Morello, who you're not allowed to show up to the game without looking like an Onus Wagner baseball card from 1952 because you got to shave everything and you got to wear a seven-piece suit with a pocket watch. Like, come on. It's, it's due time for the Islanders to save the ship and start looking forward to a future without Lula Morello. Because otherwise, you're just going to be stuck with a bunch of fourth line contracts. Here's the, the NRD. The problem is, though, if you if you fire Lou tomorrow, this core of you know Lee Nelson, Palmieri, Pajot, Bailey, everybody's locked up. It's like what do you you're gonna you can try it around the margins to fix the team, but even a guy like Casey Zizekas is locked up at two point five for years, years like. Like 20, 28 years. Where where do you 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 would have to make some groundbreaking trades with granted cap hits are manageable because it's a lot of six, five, seven million dollar players. There's no eleven people. But it's that like that team, that core is locked. And so if it's not working and your core is locked, that is a problem that even a new GM trying to tear it down to the studs or, or make the team better has to do some serious uh, navigation there to, to help. I'll put it this way. At the play devil's advocate to that point you just made, and I could be wrong here, and I'll hear it from the Islanders fans one way or another. They're very vocal on Twitter, and they'll let me know if they agree or disagree. Which is a, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, and I have no problem with you guys disagreeing. Tell me. Be respectful, but at the same time, tell me what you think about this. But to your point about that quarter being locked up and what are you going to do, the Titanic was a great ship, Brett. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful ship. 
Probably the world's biggest at the time. I think it was. And they and they had a very experienced captain at the helm. But the iceberg was in front of them. And they didn't see it. And neither do the Islanders see the iceberg under Lou Lamorello's tenure at the helm right now. But outsiders saw the iceberg. And if you continue on that path at the iceberg without trying to steer the ship in a different direction, then you're just going to crash. So to your point about what do they do, why would you fire Lou with all those guys under, under you know, locked under contract? I mean, what other choice do you have? Just go flame out? I mean, that's what the Islanders of the past have done, and that's why the Islanders go into these cyclical um, time frames of, of being good, and then they're bad for like six years, and then they're good for three or four, and then they're bad for six years. Because they've just went down with the sinking ship because they're loyal to a fault that organization has always been. And I, I think that John Ledecky is a great owner for that organization because he understands the passion of the fan base. And I hope he also understands the point of not becoming complacent and going down with the sinking ship just because of loyalty. You always have to be thinking seven steps ahead to be a productive owner in any professional sport, to be a hands-on and, and winning owner in any professional sport. And I hope that's the case here. I don't, I don't, I'm not a fix-all. I don't know if Lou Lamorello is the, the answer to the Islanders' problems at the end of the day. And yes, I'm putting a lot of stock into the season that I said they have valid excuses. But they suck nonetheless. And like you said, their core is locked up in guys that just aren't producers in today's National Hockey League. They're all gritty guys that you want on a team. But they're just not going to score you four or five goals a game. That's and you thing. need that. You want you all that. of those guys on your team, but not necessarily the same team. On the same team. They're great role players here, there, or this place, or the other place, that, that, this, that, and the other thing. But to have a team comprised of role players, which is what I feel the New York Islanders have, is more of an indictment of Lou Lamorello than Barry Trotz, who I think has done very well over the past couple of years to get the most out of these guys. And I think he's scrambling right now. Because Barry Trotz has not been a losing head coach for very long in the National Hockey League. He has won everywhere he's went. When he has switched teams, it's because he has left for contractual or personal reasons. He's not a loser, and I think he's scrambling mightily right now to try to right that ship. We will keep an eye on the Islander situation as it progresses. Now, NRD, shall we whip around? I'll listen. I'll let you tell you. If you want to talk for the rest of the show, i got to catch my breath here. Um, that was a lot, and I know a bunch of my friends tell me all the time. They're like, we listen to the podcast on two times speed, and I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? Because it's like I talk on two times speed, so it's really four times speed. But, uh, yeah, let's let's go around the league. Let's uh, – get some quick ones in i need to regain a little bit well i'll do i'll go on my rant here i have an apology i have a i have a, a certain apology to a certain someone out there nrd the canucks gm search has for all intents and purposes begun with mr jim rutherford at the helm of it with help of ownership and francesco aquilini they need a gm and a name that has popped around is jason bottrell you may know him as the former gm of the buffalo sabers now, while I don't think he was the most talented GM, everything that I've learned about him post his Sabres career, and now that more and more has trickled out about the situation there, he was all but hogtied and put in an office and said, you better say yes to me or else you're fired. And me being Terry and Kim Pagula. The reason he was let go after a... Uh, Literally three weeks before he was let go, the vote of confidence from the Sabres organization saying, 
We're not going anywhere. We happen to know more than you do behind the scenes, which is just what a tone-deaf statement to put out. He told them to fuck off at one point, and they said, okay, you're gone. We're going to hire this guy, Kevin Adams, who I liked. I Don't get me wrong. I liked him, but he's going to say yes to everything they say. He was their VP of business admin before being the GM of the Buffalo Sabres. So let me apologize to you, Jason Bottrell. I don't think you had the resources nor the power necessary to build the team that you wanted. And I apologize for criticizing all your moves. Now, I don't agree with all of them. Even like, you know, I, I you know what I actually do agree with weirdly is the Jeff Skinner extension. Because I think while $9 million is a lot, I don't think he is a $4 million player like everybody else thinks he is. He is working his ass off every night that plays with with triple a teammates so you're be overpaid than underpaid that's what jeff said when somebody said you're the most overrated fuck in the league and just said look at my bank account there's tanev i think actually if the freaking the the tanev i know they can chirp with the best of them but fuck man those guys I, they're like if you're on their, if they're on your team you love them if they're not on your team you fucking hate those guys okay so the, back to the, i'll get off my my soapbox here the Canucks GM search is ongoing. Botchrill is uh, a name that's been involved. Do you know anything between the Canucks and the Canadians, two teams north of the border, that are looking for new GMs with those searches as it stands today? First, I was dead wrong about Jim Rutherford not getting that job. I, I really <laughs> severely underestimated the stupidity of the, uh, the ownership in, in Vancouver. Shots fired. I just didn't think that that was the right move for them. I think they got it right with Bruce Boudreau, and then they tried to catch lightning in a bottle twice with, with a flameout in, in Jim Rutherford, and I don't know how well it's going to work. Speaking I, I, of dinosaurs in the lead, by the way. Speaking of dinosaurs, exactly. I, I do know that, and from the onset I was told, that that president of Hockey Ops role was going to have some experience behind it. So the I guess in hindsight, the Rutherford thing is not too much of a shock because that was the type of player they were looking for that role, a guy with a ton of experience and leadership skills. I think they're going to go younger with the GM. It's not going to be Stan Smiley. He's not going to get the uh, interim tag removed. He's just there to hold down the fort till they get somebody in place. Botterill makes sense, but I'm just not the biggest fan of running it back with guys that you know have been together. It would, yeah, it would be a total let's let's rebuild Pittsburgh without Crosby or, or Malkin. And I'm just not a fan of doing that. You know, it, it never bodes well, especially because they were fired for a reason from, from their tenures at the same organization. So I don't have the answer for Vancouver right now. I will tell you this. Scott Mellonby has gotten, you know, a look from them, and I'm a big proponent of his. I'd look outside the box. Besides him, Roberto Luongo, if he wants to entertain Ooh. general manager jobs Strombone. in Montreal, because he is entertaining the one in Montreal. So if he wants to taint, uh, entertain his former organization in Vancouver as well, that's a possibility. Other than that, I wish I had an answer for you on Vancouver, but I don't. And I'm an honest guy. People appreciate that. And then Montreal. Montreal. Uh, same deal. They did interview... Three female candidates, according to Jeff Molson, the other day, and we discussed this last week. I believe that 
one of the names that we mentioned last week was one of the females that were interviewed. And I'll leave it at that just because of uh, information purposes and the source who gave me this information. Okay. But I think you can, I think you could figure it out from the, from the three that I mentioned. One, one stands out with experience over the rest. But I don't understand why the GM search in Montreal has even gotten to this point. You are the biggest market, most passionate media market in Canada. I think you get your guy now. You have the money. You have the original six lore to flex that on, on a potential candidate. Go grab your guy or gal. Or gal. Or gal. Go grab him now. Get him in the fold now because uh, if Carey Price comes back post-Christmas post break, you're going to have a decision to make there. A major can decision. Can I pivot to uh, something like an explain it to Brett here? Yeah. Why is Tuka Rask allowed to practice with the Bruins constantly without being signed to their roster? Because the rule says he can. I what mean, it's, what it's in the world is going on there in Boston? Like it, it, It's Swayman, Rask, and, and Allmark, and... Tuka does not have a contract. Is he the e-bug? Is he uh, Joe Schmo from the stands? How are the Bruins not getting getting away with it? It's the wrong word. But what what's their plan here? Their plan in Boston is to defer Tuka Rask's signing as long as they can to accrue more daily cap space without having to put Jeremy Swayman on waivers. Because Swayman is waivers eligible. So they really don't have to move a goalie if they don't want to. Swayman could just basically float in the stratosphere somewhere between Providence and Boston as they see fit, depending on how well he's playing in Tuka Rask. So Tuka Rask is just waiting in the wings. He's he's the e-bug. He's the, the practice goalie. He's the Zamboni driver. He's the fantasy camp invitee of the day, whatever you want to call him. But he will be playing for the Boston Bruins this year. Just closer to March. Or closer to when, you know, Inevitably, a Boston Bruins goalie goes on COVID protocol and they need one. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's, there's no rule that says you can't carry three goalies on a roster. No, there's no rule it's that's just, it's against it. You can and carry six if you want to. but it's, it's it's a cap space at the end of the day, especially as Boston tries to navigate a Jake DeBrush trade. Um, just having that, hey, Tukares isn't going to sign for a ton, but he's going to sign for a million, or, you know, million mm-hmm. and a quarter. So to have that on the fold is huge especially when you're navigating the trade of a of a young player like Jake DeBrusque and you might be bringing back some assets in return. So that's that's the thing that's looming over Boston right now, but he's going to be playing soon enough. The Edmonton Oilers started 16 and 5. They have since lost some of that steam NRD. Report came out today from Elliot that they're looking at three potential spots to improve their roster, the goaltender situation, which I think we've all known. The left defenseman, left shot defenseman situation, and the third line center situation. Do you have anything on Edmonton? We talked about the goaltender situation off the rip. I think they're kicking that decision down the road a little bit. Uh, Kudobin's not the guy. On the defensive side of things, we know that Tyson Barry might be available. So if that's a guy that you send out, to bring in somebody that helps that lineup a little bit more than what Barry's providing. I think that's what Freeman was alluding to uh, on the Oilers' defensive situation, is to make waves there, change up the vibe, because they've been struggling. And then third-line center, you know who makes a lot of sense at Edmonton? Dylan Strom. Ah, yes. That was my next question. I wanted to go the choose-your-adventure, Strom, Strom, DeBrusque, Kravtsov. So I'll let you you go... 
Dylan Strom in that situation. Dylan Strom. I, I don't um, – Jake Dabrowski is not the fit in Edmonton that everybody thinks he is. I, I know the Louis Dabrowski connection is very strong there, and I think that fuels a lot of the, the flames, a lot of the smoke. But the fit isn't there for, for that lineup. They're pretty stacked down the wings. They, they have to address the, the issues up in the pivot position. And DeBrus can't really play center. He can't really even play right wing. He's strictly a left winger. So, or vice versa if I mess that up. But he's a true winger. He's not a center. He can't play the pivot. Dylan Strom is a type of guy that you can buy cheap if you're Edmonton. And that makes the most sense for them up the middle. And then on defense, like I said, I think the defensive moves are going to come more of a change of scenery type of deal than a addition if Tyson Barry is the guy that gets moved out. The Devils we mentioned last week have a coaching situation, maybe not uh, like not imminent, but the seat is certainly hot. Uh, Shouts to Jonathan Jane on Twitter. He pointed out on Twitter that they are nine of seventy-one on the power play, good for twelve point six percent. I know for a fact the seat is hot. Do you know anything beyond that? Nothing beyond the seat is hot. I do think they're going to fire him before the end of the season, though. So if that's a little update to last week, I, I dove deeper. Yeah. Texted some connections a little bit more. Lindy Ruff, I don't believe, is going to end the season with the New Jersey Devils. Um, neither is Alan Nasruddin or that coaching staff or Mark Rackey, for that matter. It's going to be a regime change in New Jersey. It's more of a matter of when than if. So don't sleep too heavily, too longer, Jersey fans. Staying in that division, the Philadelphia Flyers have had quite the week. Things have died down, or have they, NRD? They've died down to the extent of what we discussed in terms of the firings or whatnot. I still believe that um, Claude Giroux is getting calls from team from contenders around the National Hockey League. To dive a little bit deeper into what I discussed last week about Colorado, the belief was that Colorado wanted him um, retained. And the Flyers were sticking to one of their big guns, whether that was Newhook or Byram, plus a first. And that was a non-starter for for, um, the Colorado Avalanche right now. I think that will pick up closer to the March-February, the February, end of February, early March deadline in in the Giroux sense. But I still think he's the biggest name over Hurdle. If, If the Flyers decide to move Claude Giroux, he's going to be the name over Tomas Hurdle that everybody wants. And Hurdle's going to take a back seat to what Claude Giroux can do for a team like Colorado or Calgary or Florida if they have the space to get it done. Interesting like, that you didn't you didn't put Buffalo in that conversation. Buffalo, see what's interesting about Buffalo is they're actually not a contender right now. So, ah, uh, uh, yes, because no, I don't know if the fit is there, but <laughs> yeah, no, Claude Giroux is the the A one premium. Rental and a half because he does uh, he does have a contract that expires at the end of this year, but he provides more than any typical Tomas Vanek rental trade that you've seen in years past. Like Claude Giroux is Ooh. a A one player, hitting at the core there. I, I I do just to to piggyback on here. I I would love to see him get a playoff run with a team that can really use his ability because when Philadelphia was doing that, and it's not long ago that they were sort of this playoff. You don't want to see them in the playoffs. They're not necessarily the one seed, but you don't want to play the Flyers. I want him to go to an opportunity that he can really excel in for this stretch run. And then whatever happens in the summer, happens in the summer. 
Yeah. Uh, There's a chance he returns to Philly in the summer. If they want to, as I said last week, if you want to right the ship in that organization, he's a great leader. And we know what Claude Giroux is capable of. So I wouldn't discredit a return to Philly if he does move at the deadline. Everybody's favorite New York Ranger, Michael Delzato, has been waived by the Ottawa Senators. He has. Uh, What happened, NRD? So... There's things I can discuss and there's things I can't discuss. And I'll say He fell out of favor, would you say? He fell out of favor not only on the ice but in the locker room. There were some some disconnects that went much, much deeper than the on-ice product for Michael Delzato. I know the the story came out was ice time, but um, that wasn't the whole story. So there – I wish I could say more. I I wish I could say more. And Brett knows. so, So go harass him for the scoop. But the uh, the issues there for Michael Delzato and the Ottawa Senators went way deeper than the uh, than the on ice time that he purported as the issue to wanting a trade. But yeah, we will leave it at that. Give me a couple of bats on Chippewa, and we'll uh, maybe we'll discuss the Arizona Coyotes situation. Before we get out of here, has been described as Gary Bettman uh, put it: everything is fine. NRD, was he talking about the, the gif of the dog in the burning room that says everything is fine? That's what I thought. And then I had some guy tweet me. Poor guy. Uh-oh. I hate to bury him like I did, but I tweeted that uh, something about, you know, Batman being blindly in love with Arizona and that Glendale does not have it out for, for Arizona. Um, like Batman purported that they did, because that was the other comment that came. It was it was everything's fine from Batman, and it was also the city of Glendale appears to have it out for for the Coyotes organization. And then and then a follower of mine tweeted me and said that it is not standard business practice to air your grievances like the city of Glendale has publicly. You know, it also isn't standard business practices to not pay for shit that you agreed to pay for. That's like a one yeah. simple, you know, standard business practices. Pay for things that you promise to pay for, and then you don't have to deal with these issues like a public pissing battle between the city and the team. I The writing's on the wall for Arizona, and the NHL should be ashamed for, for not doing a deeper dive into Alex Marullo, the owner of the Arizona Coyotes, especially after John Spano burnt Gary Bettman so many years ago. The NBA wouldn't allow Alex Marullo to buy a franchise because they were concerned about his liquidity on hand. And they didn't think that he had the cash to keep up payments for the team. So the NBA said no to Marullo. And then the NHL took him in. Because why? The NHL is desperate to save that team in Arizona. And they're desperate for cash. And, and if there's any downfall for Gary Bettman in his tenure as the commissioner of the National Hockey League, it's his desperation for cash and his desperation to save pet projects like the Arizona Coyotes. And you're seeing it play out in grand theater here with the Coyotes, with Alex <coughs> Marullo, with the city of Glendale. Um I hope they play in Houston or Austin, Texas next year. Yeah, I mean, buddy, the Houston, I think, has been described as the favorite. I think that would have to be Tillman Fertitta 100% saying that we are are going to take them in. I'm going to buy the team. They're going to play at the Toyota Center. And that seems to be the path of least resistance right now that I don't necessarily love. It's the path of least resistance – but I had this conversation, and Friedman mentioned it on 32 Thoughts, and, and you know, so it was out there first via 32 Thoughts. But I had this conversation with somebody else with much prominence in the hockey podcast world 
the other day before Freeman put it out there. The issue with Tillman Fertitta is that he doesn't want to own the team. He'd like to lease the Toyota Center out to, if it's still called the Toyota Center in Houston, he'd like to lease the building out to a ownership group for the team and not mm-hmm. own the team himself. He doesn't see the NHL as a valuable asset to add to his portfolio right now. And that's the biggest concern is that Houston has everything right. They have the rink, they have the organic fan base, they have the in-state rivalry with Texas, something that Gary Bettman would probably concede if he can't have Arizona, I think he'd be okay with an in-state rivalry in Texas. Mm-hmm. Maybe a game at the Alamo at some point, just like they did in Lake Tahoe. It's pretty hot down there, but but why awesome. not? It's, it's a thing. But the uh, the issue there is the ownership group and that they thought they had a prospective owner in Tillman Fertitta, and it turned out that Tillman wanted to own the building that the team played in like he does and lease out and bring in cash that way. Kind of like the the blueprint we mentioned last week on last week's episode of what owners should do. He doesn't want to own the team himself. So it's about finding an ownership group for Houston. Other than that, the political, you know, football that's being played in Quebec about Gary Bettman meeting with the with the provincial minister of, of Quebec about a team to return there. It's a non-starter for the reasons I mentioned previously, the Canadian dollar. Kansas City isn't as viable as it once was when the New York Islanders were rumored to go there. That market is dipped. My wild card, and I mentioned this to this you know podcast person that I that I aforementioned a couple minutes ago. The NHL should start looking into the Des Moines, Iowa slash Milwaukee, Wisconsin mm. market because those okay. two markets perform pretty well against non-traditional hockey markets and non. NHL hockey markets on TV ratings, and they've historically performed pretty well. And Des Moines, I know, is continuing to grow into a hotbed for a lot of tech companies and whatnot. So that is a potential market I'd like to see the NHL explore, even if the Arizona Coyotes don't go there. Just down the line, gauge the hockey interest interest in the Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Des Moines, Iowa. You know, well, they belt. they certainly do a good job with the USHL. There's like nine teams within a hundred square miles in that area. <clears throat> and I've been to a Milwaukee Admirals game, and they're they're a blast. So, or you know, or a, a Green Bay for that matter, type of thing. Because we certainly know that that fan base will support a professional sports franchise. But let me go back to where uh, yours truly resides for a second. Austin, Texas, and the surrounding areas are the fastest growing market in the country. Okay, that's point one. Con one is that they don't have a rank. Pro number two is that there's a new billionaire every day here, whether they move here or whether they mint themselves. Con number two, they don't have a rank. <laughs> and, and as of today, it would be an effort and a half to build a rank in a downtown location where it's more feasible than going out in the suburbs like everybody does at this point and builds a rink out there. So the, plenty of land to do that, plenty of cheap land to do that, and it's actually closer than you know Florida's rink, for example, and, and especially Arizona's rink. But that brings us to pro number three, NRD, is that there's a not defunct but a much lessened newspaper called the Austin Statesman that takes up uh, – a bunch of acreage south of the, well, it's technically the Colorado River. If you live here, they call it Ladybird Lake. It's a whole thing. But it's right downtown. That is ripe 
for redevelopment. And they have a guy who I'm not going to mention by name, but his name is on a bottle of a certain spirit that is sold all over the place, namely vodka, that uh, I need to dig in more to this, but I've had a conversation that would say that he is, I'm trying to be very careful with this. I don't know if you can tell. I think you already said too much. He's interested in something, whether that's the NHL, whether that's something else, he is interested in exploring that option. The, the, honestly, the, the, the hard part might be it's too quick. Something's going to have to happen with Arizona quickly. That's the issue. They're on the clock now. But he would like to explore something like that. I will leave it at that, and I will leave it at that for this week on Cold Stove Podcast. NRD, anything else before we jump? Nope. That was a good ending. I like Good that. ending. We will see you guys next week. Uh, hit us on Twitter again at Cold Stove Pod. I am Shmer- uh, Brett Merriman, excuse me, at Schmerriman. That's NRD, NHL Rumors Daily at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. He's not going anywhere. Promise not you. going anywhere. We're going to say that at the end of every show. And uh, again, hit us with a rating, please. Review, please. We'll do some uh, we'll do some ratings of that next week on the episode before Christmas. And uh, NRD, that's it. Praying more more COVID cases aren't happening as we speak because it's it's been quite the quite the morning for those. Well, a lot has changed since we started recording and to when we're about to hit the stop button right now. So, like I said, let's hope that uh, first and foremost that everybody's healthy, and then from there, let's hope the NHL can navigate this in ways that we didn't think they can. Amen. That's Cold Stove Pod. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.